Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. Hi everybody, Megan Thompson here, and I wanted to get on to talk about one thing that I think is really important for us as parents, but specifically if you're parenting a highly sensitive kid and dealing with daily meltdowns. And and so today what I really wanted to address is the three biggest costs that you're experiencing in raising a highly sensitive child that you need to be aware of. And so when we think about the challenges that you're having at this point, I really want to understand and, and you know focus on what, I, what we understand to be true. So I want to get to understanding where we're at at this point. And my objective today for our conversation is to completely change your perception of what it's costing you to raise a highly sensitive child who's dealing with daily meltdowns. And when we think about one of the challenges that I speak to many, many parents about is the the focus on how you're trying to help your child manage those big emotions and what you're doing to get out of it and and what strategies or supports you've got in place to help you move in that direction. And if you're dealing with daily meltdowns or constant school refusal or frequent outbursts to the point where your child is is often angry, the the challenge around this is is trying to figure out where or or what to seek help from and and how to address it and, and when. And so one thing that I think is really important to understand is that there's actually a significant cost in continuing this this pattern with your family. And one of the big things that I think is really important for parents to really be very, very clear on is that the first big biggest cost that you're experiencing is the missed childhood experiences that you and your childhood are experiencing at this current moment. So when we think about parents who need help managing parenting a highly sensitive kid, if you're dealing with meltdowns on a daily basis or multiple times daily, start to look at and recognize that you're losing out on a fair amount of time. And for some of you, it's very, very significant amount of time every day that you're not fixing this problem. And if if you're if you've gotten to the point where meltdowns are on a on a daily basis, then you're spending probably at least an hour, if not two or three, whether or not that's directly with your child or mentally, emotionally, trying to run through solutions to this problem. And when that happens, we get this concept and and, and the understanding that your brain is constantly on problem solving mode. And so not only are you stuck missing out on your child's experiences, but so is your kid, right? So we all know that if you can't make it to soccer practice because of a meltdown, or if you can't make it to school on time because of a meltdown, or your other kids are late because of a meltdown for whatever activity they are signed up for, then everybody's missing out. 
And what's really important to understand is that not fixing this now continuously perpetuates that problem. And so I really want you guys to take a clear look at all of the lost hours of time that you've invested in not fixing this immediately. Because when you think about that, driving to appointments that may or may not be effective, taking your family to, you know, activities that are, are just not happy. You know, we think about families who want to go on vacations, who go to parks. You know, I speak to a lot of you who say, well, you know, we don't miss out on anything. We, we, we move through the day regardless of whether or not my kid's having a meltdown. But my question to you is, What's the quality of that uh, experience for your family? Because if it's not happy, if it's not joyful, then you absolutely are missing out on pure, true happiness for your family. And again, I've spoken about this frequently, and you'll hear me say it again, that if your child is experiencing daily meltdowns, that's not developmentally appropriate. And so what we know is that regardless of age, daily meltdowns are not developmentally appropriate, especially not for highly sensitive kids, even though there are many, many people who will tell you the opposite. Um, and so what I think is important for you to be aware of is that in those moments, your child is experiencing emotional turmoil. This is stressful for their their body, their, their nervous system, and it actually perpetuates the problem. So when we think about the missed experiences that your child's having, it might not be that they're no longer, that they're not in the room. You know, if your kid's going to chorus practice or um, you know, dance or whatever. But if your child is checked out in those moments because they're still coming down from a major meltdown and the emotional intensity of that, then your child is not experiencing the actual event at its true capacity. And this actually impacts your child's ability to feel excited about life and to feel excited about new experiences. Because when we think about what a meltdown looks like, it looks like a bell curve. There's a ramp up, and then there's a, a peak of intense emotion, and then there's a, a curve down where maybe crying happens or cuddling happens, and you talk about maybe what you need, should be doing next, or your child needs complete silence and you're just walking on eggshells trying not to set off another one. And so when this is happening, during that down curve and, and that plateau that happens before your child hits baseline, all of that time that your child is coming down to baseline is overstimulating and overwhelming and your child is not able to take in the moment fully. So even if your child is smiling and perhaps trying to move through the day, it's very, very important to know that the meltdown lasts much longer than you think because the aftershock is much like an earthquake for your child's body and it's much like an earthquake for your child's heart. And so when we understand that, for those of you on the West Coast, I, we've had like maybe one or two, knock on wood, um, in, in the years that I've been down here in, in Maryland, Virginia area. Um, so I'm not going to use the terminology properly, but what I think is really important to understand is that when your child is experiencing those meltdowns over and over and over again, their central nervous system is on high alert. What is the central nervous system? It is the system in the body that keeps the body moving and alive in so many different ways that we're not going to, you know, can get into the science about that in a different training. But Google will tell you pretty quickly after we finish this video. I want to help you understand that highly sensitive people have a overactive central nervous system. And so already your child is on high alert just by nature of being a highly sensitive kid. And if you're not careful, you are continuously paying the price of 
can, of st stressing out your child's nervous system. So what happens when we do that? We think about that. And one of the things that we think about the, the cost of that is that your child is consistently in meltdown mode, either trying to keep a meltdown from happening or surviving a meltdown or trying to not set off another one or coming off of it. Much like the opposite of a high, um, you know, just coming down from that emotional intensity, there's a release there that's not actually relieving. And so what we think is very, very important for parents to understand is that in those moments, your child feels not themselves. And so it's a very, very small margin if you're dealing with emotional, you know, meltdowns over and over again on a constant basis, especially a daily basis, very, very small margin where your child actually feels like him or her true self. And so that is very, very priceless to know that if your child is experiencing their true self, feeling true and 100% um, all in living life and loving life, knowing that you're missing out on that, it is very important to be addressing it immediately. And the next thing that I think is important for us to understand is that when you need to, uh, to address this, the strategy and the accountability and support to get you there and, and to switch that dynamic is so, so important because when we think about the difference between strategy and tactics, um, tactics are coping skills. Tactics are uh, a proper bedtime. Tactics are um, listening to a particular app that helps you calm down. Um, those have a place. But what we understand is that without the strategy that gives you the step-by-step -step support that it re repeatedly implements the ability to over and over again replicate what you need when your child hits a new milestone developmentally or when your child hits a new challenge just based on being social, that is something that parents don't understand is more important than the actual particular coping skill that you're trying to help your child learn in this moment. Because the parents who, who do recognize that, they recognize that they're not throwing their child's emotional health out the window by not focusing on it. So I think about the second problem that I see a lot of parents understand is that your child is not developing healthy emotional skills if you're not fixing this problem now. Because when when we think about the importance, and, and one big myth that I hear lots of parents say, and in sometimes in here in this group, but most particularly in other groups um, or in, in other circles and, and, and being a parent myself, I hear other parents um, reassure each other this way. But when you're thinking of parenting a highly sensitive kid, the understanding or the thought, um, the myth that self-love and the pathway to self-love is a journey, your child's ability to love him or herself is a journey, um, I really think that there's a huge misconception related to that ability to love yourself truly. Adults, we have to repair certain circumstances that we've dealt with over the years that have taught ourselves not to love ourselves. So what do we do? We think the same thing has to happen for our kids. The same thing has to happen for every kid. Uh, but what's very, very important is that your child is born loving him or herself. And over time, not knowing how to manage their own emotions and not knowing how to communicate those needs or not having their needs met for various reasons, but particularly if you're not certain how to raise your highly sensitive child, your child's ability to love themselves and feel whole is definitely being 
diminished in this in these experiences of having continuous daily meltdowns. So when we think about the the needs, you know, most of the parents that I speak to often are are looking for a way to cut the meltdowns in half. You know, say for example, your you know, your your standard is, you know, at this point you're, you're dealing with two meltdowns a day, so that's four time, 14 times a week, and, and most of you would be happy to just deal with one. You know, if we could just get rid of the, the morning meltdowns, then I could, you know, start my day off with a, with a happier mood, and I could, I could last through the afternoon, or I could, I could make it to bedtime so that I had a, re, a break, or flip-flop it, right? If we got it over in the morning, then I'd be coasting for the rest of the day, but what's important to understand is that your child's stress hormones are perpetuating in their body all day if you're not fixing this problem at a higher level and a more clear level. And so what happens is that those stress hormones actually perpetuate disease. And, and it's very important to understand that when we think about the, the study of, of physic, the physical body and how the physical body is impacted by stress. We know in, in many areas, but any of you have had any you know minor or major surgery or, or know um, doctors or, or medical professionals in your life, it's very important to understand that anybody going into surgery who has a positive outlook on how things will turn out is actually going to have a faster turnaround, faster recovery from that surgery. So they always talk to family members about you know, for people going to surgery, you know, keep positive mindset, focus, 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 and they, they really um, support the patient in understanding, you know, the, the stats, the odds, but then really focusing on hope because that understanding is so, so important in order to shift the dynamics. So when we think about your child, if your child is losing faith that things will turn out well for them because they're consistently dealing with disappointment, negativity, and not able to manage those negative emotions, then they're actually losing their own sense of personal hope. So it's really very clear for you to understand that not fixing this problem isn't just costing you missed appointments. It isn't just costing you the missed time at, you know, at activities, but it's really actually significantly impacting your child's ability to manage their own emotions for the long term because it diminishes their ability to feel hopeful that they can solve their own problems. So when we understand that, the, 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 it's really important for you to understand that you know, raising a kid with with daily meltdowns is oftentimes just perceived to feel like whack-a-mole. You know, you're, you can you know tackle one thing and then another thing pops up, and you tackle another thing and another thing pops up, and and for you that also is very, very stressful. And so it's costing you your happiness. It's costing you your your ability to manage. It's costing you your ability to focus on other things in your life, whether that be in your career or your family's goals or financial goals or, you know, anything else that, you know, contribution to the community, anything else that's fulfilling to you long term is being stunted by not fixing this problem. And so when we understand that, that consistent stress and the loss of joy in your household, but also for your family, it's very important to understand that those day-to-day experiences that add up over time, it's not something that you can get back. You can only work towards repairing it from here on out. And you have to take consistent and massive action to actually make that happen for your family. So we think about one of the things that's that's very important to address is understanding that the third biggest cost is the power of influence on your child. And we think about where you're at and whether your child is four, eight, nine, ten. There's a window where the parents' opinions, guidance, and values are taken with a higher level of importance by your child. And by the time your child hits fifth grade, 
their peers start to become more important and their peers' values and their peers' important their peers' opinions and their peers' teachings start to become more important. And so if you're not addressing this issue right away and you're waiting to see how adolescence turns out for your kid, then it's very, very crucial to understand that you are actually losing and paying with the, the power of influence on your child. Because at that point, we see parents come into the practice or parents that I work with in, in coaching, what what we what they understand is that they don't want to wait. They don't want to take that risk and they don't want to under, they don't want to worry about how they will influence their teen who is consistently dealing with disappointment or a lack of hope in their own capacity to manage their own emotions. Because at that point, the frustration becomes a, a double-edged sword. You have frustration of not being able to solve the problem by then, but you also have frustration of not being able to get through to your kid. And so the, the add-on of that stress can actually lead to resentment if it hasn't already seeped in for your family already. And, and when you do that and when that happens, your child continuously hears that from you and, and continuously feels as if they can no longer manage it. Now, one thing that I think is really, really important to address here, we think about the power of influence on your child, is that highly sensitive teens start to prioritize their peer relationships over their own sensitivity by the time they become adolescents. So what does this mean? And I, and I know many of you are not parents of adolescents, so I'm, I'm really only going to paint a, a short picture of this, and, and we'll get back to what's experience, what you're experiencing now. But what we seem to understand and what we know is, is that, you know, in terms of the research, as well as what I see in, in my, my practice here and in the, in the coaching business, is that parents of teens start to think that their kid is no longer sensitive. We hear some parents of 11, 12, 13 year olds say things like, well, those things don't bother my kid anymore. They seem to have grown out of it. But what we know to be true in the research in terms of studying highly sensitive adults is that the sensitivity actually becomes deprioritized in adolescence. So it doesn't mean that your child grows out of that sensitivity. This is not something that your child grows out of without consistent, significant support. And the reason why I'm saying that is because you're not going to change your kid's personality trait and whether or not that exists for them, but you absolutely will be able to change how that shows up for your child in their life and especially in their childhood will dictate how it shows up for them in adulthood. So recognizing that is very, very important because even if your child as, an, as a teen starts to prioritize more um, teen relationships, wants to stay friends, and so therefore stuffs their feelings because explosive behavior is un, unhealthy and, and, and teens don't really like that, so they could write you off. What happens is that as an adult, that same explosive behavior shows up but in different ways. It either shows up through implosion and stressful outbursts and meltdowns with your own family or it shows up in internal meltdowns. We you know, why am I the way I am? What's wrong with me? I can't figure this out. Or um, outbursts with your children later on. So when we start to understand that, it's very important to understand that one of the myths that children grow out of this, if they're experiencing daily meltdowns and you're starting to see 
some decrease in the meltdowns, but your child's not able, not able to manage frustration, not able to manage disappointment, and not able to manage other big negative feelings, but just no longer melts down, that's actually a key understanding, a key sign that your child is ingraining the inability to solve their own problems rather than moving out of this intensity and moving out of the, the, the lack of skill, which a meltdown demonstrates. So I really want to get get clear about this because a lot of the time we see parents who are struggling with this end up working with somebody or, or finding resources or, or just working with their kid who starts to focus on their child's influence on themselves. Here are the coping skills. Here's how to use them. And once I teach you how to use them, you can come to me if you need help or you can um, use them on your own and I'll give you your space to do that. What people don't understand, especially parents of highly sensitive kids, especially when you're dealing with daily meltdowns, is that when that's your approach, your child hears, look, meltdowns are inevitable, but here's how you can decrease the intensity. Um, Disappointment and major disappointment that you feel like you can't manage is inevitable, but here's how we ride that storm a little bit less intensely. And what I think is really, really important is that that reactive response teaches your child that they better be able to tolerate meltdowns better rather than teaching your child to stop rising so high in their intensity. Now, I think what's really important is that you can feel big, deep feelings without getting out of control. And having a meltdown means you're out of control. Your body is literally in its animalistic fight or flight mode and your body is out of control. So... If that's what's happening and being perpetuated, then your child is learning over and over and over again that this is how I live my life. I live my life out of control. And when they are taught coping skills, I see so often with parents who, who you know have their kids go to a therapist and it's a one-on-one session and, and the, the kiddo is brought back to the office and they are taught, you know, they're taught they're coming home with, with coping skills. One of the things to understand is that this actually ingrains shame for your highly sensitive kid because it basically sends the message that you're on your own kid, like, you know, keep on going, balls in your court now. And what that does is it actually demonstrates to your child um, that a meltdown is a choice and that if they chose to use their coping skills, then they wouldn't choose their meltdown. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't choose to feel emotionally out of control Um, and if I ever got to that point, it sure as hell wasn't an active decision. <laughs> yep, today's the day I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> like, so recognize that, guys. And, and recognize that if you're teaching reactive strategy, you're using tactics that's reactive, then your strategy is actually not effective in preventing the meltdowns in the first place. And so recognize that and, and understand because I know that many of you are here because your objective is not to send the message to your kid that they're on their own and, and then that they need to buck up or figure it out on, the, on their own or, or use those skills. And so if that's the case, you know, when we think about that, you know, one of the biggest breakthroughs that my clients make related to this is that they are the key person who holds the capacity to teach their child how to manage those meltdowns and it has to start with prevention. And so when they come in, you know, we think about boot camp and and clients who start the, one of the things that, um, that often happens is like, okay, what do I do? What do I do in that moment? How do I stop the meltdown? How do I shift it out? And we don't even address that until halfway through the program because when we, when we understand and we break down that reactivity the, the key distinction that parents understand is that in that mindset, with that assumption, that meltdowns don't even have to happen for your kid, 
that's when you start thinking bigger. That's when you start dreaming bigger. You move out of saying, I'd be happy with one meltdown a day if it's two for your family. And you move into, oh, my new standard is once a month. My kid is, is going to feel emotionally out of control because he's still a kid and, and we're moving towards less than once a month. But, but this is my short-term goal. And so they completely and drastically change their sense of what is possible for their family when we address this and, and when we really... Uh, focus on on understanding that the cost is not just about your child's emotional health and your missed experiences with your kid, even just those little moments in the day, you know, singing songs while reading together, um, you know, eating dinner, playing games at home. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go out and, and live this this um, wildly strategic, extravagant lifestyle. If that's your plan, then great, because it's actually way more possible if you're not dealing with meltdowns. But those small moments that actually help dictate your child's perception of their their childhood, those are what you're missing out on. And this is what the 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 fee is to to really fix this problem, without really taking a, a significant and, and constant action on it. Is is that you're you're worried more about whether or not um, what you're what you're doing at this point is going to be enough when you need to be worried more about how do I make this happen for my family and how do I make it happen sooner than when I think of, um, of of what how long it's going to actually take because when we think about moving from the perception of getting from one from five meltdowns a day to one and knowing that two weeks later you could be down to zero then after that you no longer have to feel like it's a relief when you have an off day when your kid has an amazing day but rather thrilled that this is your life now and that that's really where you you guys get to live in your household and how you get to live in, in your community because at that point, there's there's no limits. Because if you can challenge and, and shift this out of this dynamic, then then literally anything is possible for your kiddo because they start to recognize that their personality trait is not a crutch. Their personality trait is not a, a flaw, but rather the ability to manage and, and see their own big emotions and see other people's big emotions and not take them on as their own or dictate how they can help other people. The, the possibility of serving other people, serving community, and being a part of that community is, is endless. And of course, we all feel more fulfilled when we interact with more people and we feel like we contribute to, to everybody else. So you don't just need that perspective, though. You need that strategy, right? And, and so what's important to understand is that when you make that assumption that this is very possible for your family, it's also important that, that you have to be certain that the system you're using is is solid, that it's proven it's going to actually work to get you the result that you're looking for. So we think about, you know, things like, you know, I'll try this, it happened, helped with my kid or, or this particular child um, who's anxious benefited from this particular story. I think it's important to understand that, you know, when you move out of that tactic-based parenting, and into strategic parenting, you're actually able to support yourself in a higher level of emotional safety and an emotional calmness because you're no longer in survival mode trying to think of the next best thing that's going to help your family and instead you can rest assured. And so when that happens, it actually you are actually start to feel excited. So we think about parents who, who have helped get this um, problem solved. They actually start to feel excited when their child doesn't have a meltdown because it's actually proof that something's working rather 
than just a relief and waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so when you make that change and you have your first meltdown free week, your first meltdown free month and your first meltdown free vacation, then you start to feel totally full of appreciation and gratitude that this is your new normal. And when we think about that, the, the very important thing to understand in, in terms of the clients that have helped to the most successful ones is that they're focused more on their dreams and more on the possibilities that they have and their, and their dreams for their family rather than their current limitations, rather than how much time it'll take to figure it out or, or what they need to do to put in place to make this happen for their family because they didn't let the daily meltdowns actually dictate their decisions in life on how to parent their child. Because what you're not able to understand oftentimes is that there are many, many symptoms to this problem, which could very well look like family struggle in other areas aside from parenting. Because if this is taking up a lot of your energy, then it's really hard to thrive in many other different avenues in your life. So when we think about the, the needs, you know, people who come coachable and they get resourceful and they're committed to solving this problem for their family, the it means calm dinner times. It means happy game nights. It means excursions without, you know, day trips to various community activities without dragging your kid out the door half dressed because they, they wanted to negotiate 700 times of when you would leave and what you were doing and, and all of the other things that you're focused on in this moment. And when we think about understanding the, the, the goals and, and what's possible for your family, it's really, really clear that it's a no-brainer in addressing it now. And so whether or not I can help you get there is not something that I can share with you in this, in this forum. We have to get on the phone because what's important to understand is, is that that's very, very important to address where you are where you want to go and what it's going to take for you guys and what you guys need to accomplish in order to get there. And so if I can help you figure that out, then I absolutely will share with you how that happens. And we would discuss that on the conversation. But if that's something that would take some other plan or, or you need to do some things first to, to move out of this perspective that, you know, life has to be like whack-a-mole, then we would address that in in the conversation before we would consider how, how I could help you get there. So I want to invite you to get on the call, phone. We'll get to talk about where you're at, where you want to go, and whether or not we would be a good fit to work together and help you understand that eliminating daily meltdowns is literally just the beginning. Um, that's the, we're getting rid of what sucks in life. And then when you think about where your dreams are going, what's possible for your family, I mean, the sky's the limit at that point. So that's for you to decide where you want to take your family and, and what your dreams are. So I hope that this is helpful in, in clearing up where, where we're at and, and what we were discussing. So I'm going to sign off and uh, have a great week. Thanks. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, 
We'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.